0: I have a cachet of jokes I give, and one is that risk is not a four-letter word. Everyone wants innovation, but it's directly tied to risk because if you're innovating, you're doing something that hasn't been done before, which is inherently risky. So I often say that a riskiest thing you can do is not take any risks because then you just are stagnant.
1: That's Robert Brunner, founder of Ammunition Group. Ammunition Group is a design studio dedicated to connecting entrepreneurs and expert designers to transform ideas into successful products. They've worked with companies like Polaroid, Beats by Dre, and Square. On this episode of Think Like a Founder, we talk about the impact design has on our everyday experiences, creating a team-focused culture, and how starting a business is a process I'm Maureen Taylor, and this is Think Like a Founder. From my understanding, you grew up in a household where everything was a project. Your father was an engineer while your mother worked in fashion and was an entrepreneur. How did that impact what you wanted to be when you were little?
0: Well, I don't know if I was thinking about growing up, but it's always fun to look back through the lens of where you are today and what occurred in your past, and you start to realize the effect that your environment really had on you. And yeah, as you said, my dad was a very accomplished engineer. In fact, he invented most of the mechanical technology and disk drives at IBM. My mom was a fashion model, a craftsman, a fine artist, then uh, later on became an entrepreneur, started her own children's clothing business. And you know, I didn't realize at the time, I just thought that's the way houses were, you know? <laughs> and so everything was a project. I always joked that the Christmas tree was a piece of performance art. We never had the same Christmas tree. we had this attic full of ornaments because she viewed it as a form of expression. And my father was being a mechanical engineer, was making everything. He built several boats in our driveway, things like that. So I was the youngest of three by, by a fair distance, so I, I spent a lot of time alone in the garage building things. Anything to keep myself busy or get myself in trouble was looking back, I realized I was sort of building this approach and understanding of how things work and what they mean and where they are and just loved it. That was how I kind of started out in my childhood.
1: There's a great quote that your dad used to say, designers inspect the paint and it usually peels off. Yeah. What did yeah. you mean by
0: that? He was a hardcore engineer and there is a natural tension between design and engineering because many times engineers end up living with a designer's vision and having to figure it out. So my dad's experience with industrial design wasn't great. So I studied engineering. When I was in high school, the counselor said, oh, you're good in math and science. So you're an engineer. The reality was I was better in art and I was better in my shop classes and things that involved really using my hands. But I went to engineering school, spent a year or so and really didn't like it. It just felt unfulfilling and I thought I'd rebel. And so I took a walk over to the art department thinking, I've heard about graphic design, which I thought was commercial art. And I walked in and there was this display case full of models and product renderings and other artifacts where I just stood there and stared at it and I realized that's what I wanted. And so I switched majors, which pissed my dad off. He said this comment that industrial designers specify the paint and it usually peels off, meaning they don't know what they're doing technically, but you know, it's what I wanted to do and he accepted it. And fortunately it was a decision I made. I always say if I went into another door in the art department, what would have happened.
1: I find that engineers are very much like artists. So it doesn't surprise me that even though he might think that way, that the balance between the two is uh, quite interesting. And your work actually blends art technology and utility. And there's a strong emotional component to design people feel connected to objects and they can become sentimental or attached even. So what are your thoughts on the impact design has on everyday life for people?
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because it was one of the things that as I started studying design, that really began to attract me to it even more deeply was that this sort of mysterious relationship people have with things. You surround yourself with objects that you like and represent you in some way You put them on your body, you get in them and drive them, you go home and live with them, you sleep on them. They're these things that you've chosen, sometimes for function, but a lot of times because they've connected with you in a certain way. And that sort of connection and relationship has always fascinated me. Most people don't realize that all these things that surround them were really defined for them by someone. Their decisions and their process have a direct effect on their daily experience. I often joke that every time you sit on the toilet, somebody designed that experience for you. Someone specified every surface, every radius, how the handle works, tested it, so forth. So every day when you get out of bed and stumble into the bathroom your experience is being defined by someone else, and hopefully it's a good experience and you start your day off well. But most people don't think that way. They think products just kind of blurt out of a factory, and there they are, and they are what they are. But the reality is that if someone has done their job well, they're actually creating a positive experience in your life that allows you to do something and gives you gratification and satisfaction or energy or excitement.
1: People don't really understand that. They don't understand the design that goes into something and you also said that there's a social aspect to design because you need to be able to convince people to believe in your vision. And given that design is social, what do you look for in your own team?
0: It's an interesting thing and it doesn't get talked about in design enough. I think we tend to focus a lot on the art side and the technical side to creating great design, which of course are foundations of doing a really amazing product As it fits a creative brief. It does it well, we figured out how to engineer and manufacture it, but What I found that is increasingly important to achieving a design is the ability to move it through a social system. I, as a designer, I can create one thing, and I can create one thing that's really amazing, perfect, beautiful, but if I'm gonna go out and have it built in volume and make thousands, if not millions of something, I need an army of people to believe in that vision and carry it forward. So in order to do that, you have to have the social skills and the capital and the influence to be able to convince this army of people that your idea is really important and we need to get it out in the world and so as we look at our designers, that's sort of a third component that's really important to us is how they know how to work the system. And it's really important to me. I mean, I lead our studio, but we do a lot of work and our team is incredibly important. And I make this statement often, I'm only as strong as the backs of the people who carry me. And I think it's an important thing to remind yourself as a leader, you can get caught up in your ego, but really if you're driving something significant, you've got a team and you're only as good as that team is. I learned that early on of really trying to hire people that are better than I am. I think have skills that I don't or skills that are better than mine and be inspired by them, not threatened by them.
1: You have to always improve your own user interface because it takes, it takes the village to actually make it happen.
0: Yeah. I often say this is we're not in the design business, our studio. We're actually in the talent business. Mm -hmm. We focus on discovering and bringing great talent on board and growing it and enabling it. And that's what it's going to drive the impact of our studio, not just myself or my business partner, Matt Rollinson. We know that these people are incredibly important and it's important that we invest in them. And I say that often, and I try to get my team to understand that, that how we market and promote our business enforces that. But at the same time, we know it's more of a we culture in our studio than than a me culture Mm -hmm. and really a team effort to get something over the finish line.
1: So how'd you get that? because sometimes people need to really learn that. Was this nature for you or did you have the instinct because of your interesting balance between engineering and design? Did you know that, that it took the people, not just you?
0: What happened for me from a career development point of view is I I had a, a, a design business called Lunar. And while I was there, I began doing some work for Apple and eventually Apple hired me. And there was no internal design studio per se. So I very quickly learned that I had to build something sustainable and something that was self-driving that of course I need to lead and continually build and grow, but my survival (laughs) was really based on the quality of an organization that I built. And that was a very good lesson for me. And I've carried that forward as I've gone back into small business and having studios that that quality of that machine that you build and the fact that you feed it and you support it and you inspire it is critical. It actually is critical to your success.
1: We look at some of the things that make up what is a founder, and one of them is risk taking. And it seems no matter what brick walls in front of you, and sometimes needlessly, one might hit your head against it even until mm-hmm. it bleeds. But there is this thing of not being afraid of that.
0: I have a cachet of jokes I give, and one is that risk is not a four-letter word, right? (laughs) And everyone wants innovation, but it's directly tied to risk. Because if you're innovating, you're doing something that hasn't been done before, which is inherently risky. So I often say that, A riskiest thing you can do is not take any risks because then you just are stagnant. In fact, many times retract. And in our business, we made some decisions that sort of followed our own advice of moving towards a model that was more partner focused than normal, right? Most industrial design studios like ours tend to be hired on a contract. You get paid for the work that you do. You do the work, you move on. I began to view that as we were giving away very valuable intellectual property really cheaply. So we thought, well, let's take some risks and figure out how to change that dynamic. So we started working in this partner model where we were sometimes working for a return on sales, sometimes working for equity. We actually invest in many of the companies that we work with now. What we found this really interesting thing is it made us better designers because we were so tied in to the success of the product and the organization. We invested more, we spoke up more. We had more respect because we had skin in the game, so when we said something, people listened. So what we found with this unexpected effect of this sort of partnership idea is that we were doing better work and being more impactful. Even when we were doing this sort of more traditional, you know, fee-for-service work, we still behaved that way. And it's been really, really valuable to our business.
1: You've had a very prolific career as a designer. Your work's been on display at the MoMA in New York and in San Francisco. You were the head of industrial design at Apple, and now you're the author of your own book on design. How does your creativity drive your approach to your business?
0: Creativity in business is an interesting thing that I think a lot of people don't understand. And and I had this light bulb experience when I first went to Apple. And when I first went to Apple, they made you take a total quality management course. And as I sat there and went through this course, I realized it was design process 101. It was how do you identify a problem? How do you come up with potential solutions to a problem? How do you test those solutions? How do you implement it? It was basic design process that we were taught in our first classes. And that's something that design can really bring to business is that sort of this idea of how do I actually solve a problem? How do I identify what it is? How do I create potential solutions? How do I test them? These are all things that we do every day in design work, but it can be applied to a lot of things, not just the creation of an object or an experience. And so that to me is one of the most important reasons to have designers involved in your business and looking at what you do and how you do it.
1: Absolutely. What are the core values that you live by?
0: Creativity is at the highest order. Again, we sort of always say we're a team of talent. We're gonna use that team of talent to really solve your business problems, not just create something. But then also a sort of honesty, being ethical, really focusing on the right thing to do. These are all things that we value.
1: That's very cool. It seems that you're always a student. It goes back to Socrates too, that the teacher is the student, the student is the teacher. So your biggest learning curve as a leader, like what gave you some of the juice that lets you go?
0: Being a parent and having a lot of kids, you know, as mine have gotten older and they're trying to figure out what to do, I'm constantly harping on them to look inward and figure out the things that you love. You know, what are those things that you do and you're doing them before you know it, it's two in the morning and you've been doing something for four hours and haven't even stopped. What are those things that drive you and start to think of your world and your career around those things and a really important thing about education is that it's a foundation but it it shouldn't limit you and some of the best people that I know I work with now didn't necessarily study design they may have studied architecture and ended up moving into user experience and all of a sudden they're amazing software designers it's creating that foundation and in many ways learning how to learn and that will serve you money is an interesting topic in this right of course we all want to make money and of course we want to make as much money as possible and have financial success and security but it's a tricky motivator it's really about figuring out what your passion is and then how to make a living at it before starting ammunition i was a partner in a very prestigious design firm called pentagram my good friend paula Scher is a partner there once said to me look at the work and you look at the person and if those are good the money will follow And I think that's an important lesson, is you're better off figuring out what you love and figuring out how to make a living out of it than looking at how to make money and deciding that's going to be your profession.
1: People listening out there who have that itch, and uh, you know what I'm talking about. Right now, they're sitting there, okay, I'm juiced. What do I do? What advice do you give them?
0: One of the things I've probably said thousands of times, and I don't even remember who told it to me, was this very profound statement, is that it's a process, not an event. And I remind myself of that constantly. I've started a number of businesses, and my wife is in the midst of launching a startup. In fact, she's just launched it. She's created this company called Stereotype Kids, and our two youngest are twins, boy and girl, and we've watched them growing up, and in terms of their wardrobe, they've skewed all the ideas of traditional gender. My son likes things that are frilly and glittery and flowing, and my daughter likes camo and dinosaurs and Batman. And they're always in each other's clothes. So it caused her to realize that what we tend to do from a gender point of view is start to put kids in a box before they're born. They're pink or they're blue. So she's creating a children's clothing line based on that. But starting a fledgling fashion business is a really challenging thing some of the things I always tell her and recommend is she's really stressing about making mistakes. And I always say, you're going to make mistakes. It's something to understand. You are not going to do everything right. What's really important is to continue moving forward and learning and don't let failure slow yourself down.
1: That was Robert Brunner, founder of Ammunition Group. Ammunition Group is a design studio dedicated to transforming ideas into successful products. Robert has also recently co-authored a book called, Do You Matter? How Great Design Will Make People Love Your Company. Join us next time on Think Like a Founder when I talk to Tuche Bulut, founder and CEO of Street Beads. We talk about wanting to be president of the United States as a kid in Turkey, reinventing your role as a founder and setting your own milestones. I'm Maureen Taylor, thanks for listening. Think Like a Founder is produced by SNP Communications in San Francisco, California. Learn more by visiting us at snpnet.com or connect with me, Maureen Taylor, on LinkedIn to continue the conversation there. Series producer is Roisin Hunt, sound design by Mark Ream, content and scripting by Mike Sullivan and Jason Drown. Production coordinator is Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena Persiani Shell, Eli Shell, Matt Johnson, John Hughes, and Red Barra.